This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Uh huh. We're uh, let's say for the sake of argument, uh, okay. just hypothetically, that we are two little alien guys with three eyes, okay. and we're in a big claw machine, and we see the claw. <laughs> Great. What do we say to the claw? Uh, well, we, first we say "ooh" as an acknowledgement. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's good. And this is kind by, of like an improv show. Yeah, followed by the addressing of. Of the claw, which is to say the claw. The claw. <laughs> yeah. Can I get a can I get a clean read from you of you doing the claw in the alien voice, please? Yeah, give me one second. I have yeah. to do the lead in though. I'm gonna give you the ooh. You okay. can cut it if you want to. <laughs> okay, this isn't just to be clear, this isn't for the podcast. This is all getting cut. This is gonna be my text tone yeah, on my okay. phone. <clears throat> ooh. <laughs> the claw. <laughs> Very good. Snaps. Thank you, thank Snaps. You. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's hey, partially podcast. because I still don't have a full voice. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the only reason I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, feel bad in throat. Feel I bad? thought that I would be okay. Like the podcast, uh, this, we recorded last week's episode yesterday and yeah. this week's episode today, which is why we still sound the same. Yeah. And we are... It's the worst week for us to restart the podcast because we are between Labor Day weekend at the Renaissance Fair and the weekend after, which are notoriously the second worst and first worst weekends of the fair. I looked at myself in the mirror yesterday and I went, I can't believe I have to go back to the Renaissance Fair tomorrow. I was just there. I literally, I was just there. I got a commercial (laughs) audition on Tuesday and I was like, I can't look 15 years old. The bags under my eyes look like I make me look like I'm 70. (laughs) Anyway, hey, podcast. Uh, Greetings. Hey, podcast. Uh, welcome to the Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell. And can you all believe that we have never talked about aliens on this show? It's honestly a bit offensive to American horror in general. Because We have like, talked about the film Alien, but not aliens right. in general. Right. And it's such a tentpole of like American odd culture, which I feel is like what we talk about. Mm-hmm. The most, and the fact that we haven't even touched on aliens. I went to Area 51 last year. We did yeah, a podcast between the point when I was at Area 51 and not at Area 51. I Roswell is probably one of the number one places that I want to go in the United States. Just okay. almost purely for the like kitsch, like touristy right. kind of part of Roswell. Like, sure, it's cool that maybe there were aliens there, but I'm so into the culture surrounding Roswell. Right. Uh, no, I'm really so with you. Hey, Adam, we broke the seal of podcast road trips with mm-hmm. going to Halloween Horror Nights. We can go to Roswell. Yeah, maybe that's the I'm going to live relatively closer. So you I just fly not, out to LA. <laughs> we'll take our 2012 Ford Edge and we'll drive to Roswell. Yeah. Um, but so I think the reason that we don't talk about aliens very often as a show on the show is that we don't think of them as horror like yeah. we used to back in the day. Right. 
uh, despite Alien being one of the greatest horror movies of all time, uh, despite despite the, I guess, discourse that maybe Alien isn't a horror movie because horror can't be in space or something stupid like that. Well, that's not that's, true. That's wrong. Yeah, that's idiotic. Of One, yeah. of course, it's a horror film. And two, if you want to make a compelling argument about the idea that it's not, the, the base of your argument cannot be horror can't happen in space because that's... Yeah ridiculous space is like objectively the scariest place i can think of (laughs) right i i would argue bottom of the ocean but okay uh okay that's also scary i'm sure we'll get into this This is probably going to be the crux of the episode so let me just put out the introduction (laughs) thesis of aliens aren't as scary anymore because like in 20th century pop culture aliens represented uh, the Soviets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is that is kind of yeah. the crux of this episode. But this episode is actually going to be like a soft two-parter. Or All right. Uh, this episode's going to have a sister. Where this, Ooh. In this episode, I'd like to Remember, talk about... Remember, <laughs> your episodes need to be... They, they're sisters, not twins. Not twins. Um, this episode is going to talk about the history of aliens in fiction specifically, specifically in horror fiction. And next episode, I want to talk about UFO sightings, close encounters, and like ufology as yes. like a subject in the United States is like a cultural Adam, point. We had a talk, I would say about two years ago, uh-huh. about whether we should talk about uh, real life stuff on this podcast and where <laughs> the line was. And yeah. Look behind us. It's about two miles behind yeah, us. Yeah, we're done. Um, and so like the de- aliens in fiction in general is a huge topic and aliens in horror is it much smaller. So I want to like give that the time sure. uh, that it needs and the debate over whether or not aliens are horror or science fiction. I like to say that a, they're both yeah. and B, it depends on the movie. It depends on the story, depends on the context. Um, I think one in some of my research for this episode, one thing that was pointed out is that like how to tell an alien movie is horror versus science fiction. Well, science fiction focuses on uh, how humans would continue on under s- different futuristic circumstances, while aliens as horror like doesn't necessarily need to be about a different time or a different place. It can very much be about now. Yeah, I agree. I think that there is a pretty clear delineation. Science fiction is a is a descendant of fantasy, and horror is also a descent descendant of fantasy, but they are very much two different branches. Mm-hmm. And so aliens can be horror uh in in one aspect and science fiction in a, in another. It totally yeah. depends on what aspect of the aliens we're talking about. Yeah, the, exactly. the difference between uh, War of the Worlds versus Alien. Yeah, and aliens in horror, I think, are one of the best examples of how, like alongside slashers, with how horror reflects societal fears and how yeah. those fears evolve as the years go by. Because alien movies in the 50s mean something entirely different than the alien movies of the 70s and 80s and mean yeah, entirely and different now. things than the alien movies of now, uh, which yeah, we'll get I mean, into a little later. Yeah, and we talked about this in the zombie episode, which is yeah. why it's also crazy that we haven't talked about aliens yet, in that aliens are one of those things in pop culture that their meaning is never set, which is the one mm-hmm. aspect of the Fast Zombies debate that I will totally understand when we're talking about zombies, which is that zombies don't represent, much like aliens, much like a lot of different monsters, don't represent a fixed place in uh in metaphor or in horror canon, the way that you could argue a vampire does. Yeah. 
Um, and I wanted to do this episode after going back and re-listening to our like history of zombies and history of vampires and stuff episodes. Um, yeah. Because they are such good examples of societal fears and how they influence horror. Um, and also, I think that, we, you know, those Netflix series are like the movies that made us, the toys that made us. The toys that made us is should, so good. I think this should be the monsters that made us. And I think we should be contracted to make it. <laughs> Netflix. Hey, Netflix. <laughs> hey, Netflix. <laughs> I like that um, because let's be clear in this situation, I would not be on the show. You would be the person <laughs> making the show. I'd be like a producer. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about aliens. Um, right. So let's get to the crux of like, why is space scary anyway? Yeah. Um, and this is the part where I defend science fiction's place in the horror genre. Um, Absolutely. So space encapsulates so many of the th- the core things that drive human fear. The fear of the unknown, the fear of loss of freedom, pain, loneliness, and death. All, like, those are all the, when we think about why we're afraid of slashers, why we're afraid of vampires, why we're afraid of werewolves, they all lie in one of these fears, just yeah. kind of, like, extended. And space has all of those things. All in one, in one tiny, huge space. Yeah, there's so many things in space that can kill you, and that's so scary. And Everything in space can kill you. Yeah, and it's both of, like you said, like tiny and, and huge. Like space is both a extremely finite and an extremely infinite space. Like the vastness of space is very scary, similar to the vastness of the ocean, except way worse because it's even bigger. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, most science fiction horror takes place on ships, and yeah. the space on a ship is small. It is extremely finite. And there is nowhere to run. Like, right. It, yeah. It kind of uh, going off of the the comparison to the ocean, it is a, just a more extreme version of the ocean. And it's where it becomes uh, such a good place for horror because the the finite containment of a ship on the ocean can be bigger. You have like open air and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the infiniteness... The infinity of the ocean is kind of smaller because there is going to be land. There's stuff out there. There's stuff living. Mm-hmm. Whereas in space, your s- spaces are even smaller and the yeah. infinity of space is even bigger. And what I find really interesting is the historical place that a lot of science fiction, a lot of uh, futurist science fiction comes from is the early 20th century uh, humanity is going to go to space. It's going to be incredible. We're going to have walking sidewalks, a base on the moon, a space elevator. It's all going to be incredible. World War II comes, the Cold War starts. We start going into space and begin to realize, oh God, oh geez, everything in space is bad. We have to mm-hmm. send everybody up in tiny tin cans. It's the worst experience ever. And the worst part is, if something screws up in your tiny tin can, which it may because it's a tiny tin can, yeah. you're going to die a more horrible death than you would if you were stranded in the ocean. Like yeah. your, your saliva is going to boil on your tongue, your eyes are going to shrink or whatever, and you're going to be spaghettified into a black hole. It is one of those. <laughs> it's so intensely human for us mm-hmm. to... Uh, dream about a place, dream about an ability we could have and and then acquire the power to get there and realize that it is not what we expected, not what we dreamt of. It is actually incredibly dangerous and horrible. And that realization is where sci-fi horror becomes so cool. I think of video games like Dead Space, where 
you are in space. Like that's the whole thing. But what you're actually doing is you're going through a ship fighting zombies as a very frail human being in a, in, in space is the thing mm-hmm. about this one is that you're in space. Mm-hmm. And so the things can float around and that's bad. That's the yucky yeah. and bad and I hate it. Well, yeah, because it's not like like we always yell at slasher protagonists to like run out of the house instead of upstairs. You can't run yeah. out of the house. Yeah, seventeen A is right there, Jen. You can <laughs> run along it. There's stuff out there, but for space, there's no seventeen A. There's yeah, not even you, a seventeen K. No, you can't run out of the shit. Like it's yeah, it, it, that's I think what's I, scariest to me about uh, most of these films. Um, and there's also the existential aspect of space. Uh, it's like, cause some people find the realization that we are a single speck of dust in a universe bigger than we will ever understand. Absolutely amazing and comforting. And some right. people find it absolutely terrifying. Right. I, and I think, Hey, I am like an existential optimist. I love the fact that we are nothing and we don't matter and we're this tiny speck of dust, but I love it in the fact that that means that we do actually matter in like the most present sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why space stuff scares me is because it forces even people like me who love the fact that we're, we're this tiny speck of dust, it forces us to step out of that idealistic uh, species-wide thing, which is where our beliefs, I would argue my belief comes from, and makes you go, yeah, 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 sure, optimistic, whatever. You are a tiny speck of dust in this tiny, tiny space. You have to confront the personal, individual uh, existential dread. Yeah. There is nothing I can think of that would be scarier than being lost in space. Like, what's that Sandra Bullock movie where she... Gravity. Yeah. That scene where she's, like, floating... Yep. Uh, with and she control. starts to manifest George Clooney. Yeah. Very scary. Uh-uh. Um, but so. Uh, That's a horror film. Yeah. So sci-fi uses these, all these aspects for fear. Uh, sci-fi horror specifically uses these aspects for fear very well. Well, yeah. a non-sci-fi horror movie might use this for, for joy or for something else. Sci-fi horror uses these aspects for fear. Um, yeah. I would. Ar- so here's, here's a new line that I'm finding. The line of films that don't want to be considered horror because of the cultural uh, context that comes along with that and the mm-hmm. baggage that horror brings as a genre. And a lot of action movies and a lot of space movies will say that they are suspense or thrillers mm-hmm. just to avoid the title of horror, horror movie. Yeah. But they're horror movies. Yeah. Um, and when we start to talk specifically about aliens... Um, and not just space, because there are uh, horror movies that uh, take place like in space but are not about aliens. Um, not a lot, but there are some. Um, but when we talk about aliens specifically, aliens have existed in fiction for a really, 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 really long time. Probably longer than any monster we've talked about on the show. Like It used to be vampires, but now I yeah. think it's aliens. Um, Congratulations, aliens. Because references to life on other planets in fiction date all the way back to the <clears throat> 2nd century A.D., Oof. Uh, in uh, Lucian's True History, uh, Lucian was a satirist and in True History claims to have visited the moon when his ship was sent up by a fountain, which was yes. uh, peopled and at war with the people of the sun over the colonization of the Morning Star. That's so sick. Yeah. You have to imagine there was always a belief among people that there were beings other than humans that were either as smart or smarter because you had gods. Mm hmm. And a god. So you had to believe there was something 
up in the heavens that was around. Like, that's, gods are aliens. Hey, y'all. Yeah, hey. You know when everybody makes fun of Assassin's Creed or Naruto for making all the gods, like, aliens? Gods are aliens. <laughs> gods are aliens. Don't make fun of them. Yeah, and we're not going to, like, spend this episode or the next one debating over whether or not aliens are real. That's not the point. Also, they are. Also, um, they are. That's not right, the right. point, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hey, no, that's not the point. We're not going to debate about it because we both agree on this. Yeah. But, like, there's a difference between there are little green men who abducted somebody in New Mexico and there is intelligent, sentient life somewhere in the universe. Those are yeah. two very different things, and we could talk about them. Yeah. Um, so but we're not he- going to, so, so screw off. <laughs> when heliocentrism started developing... Uh, the idea of extraterrestrial beings became more specific as opposed to this just general cosmic pluralism of, oh, there is like the universe is so big. There is something out there. We yeah. cannot be alone. The specific idea of extraterrestrial intelligent beings uh, became much more specific and started to show up more in fiction. I love uh, the phrase general cosmic pluralism. Sometimes yeah. in these outlines, Adam. Yeah. You've really hit it. Thank you really you. get there. Um. In Joannes Kepler's uh, Simonium, uh, which was published in 1634, the character, I'm going to mispronounce this, Duracotus, Duracotus, uh, is uh. transported to the moon by demons, uh, which I like the usage, like even back before we understood what was beyond, not even just our solar system, but like beyond what we could physically see with telescopes. Um, yeah. I like I miss- how oh, much- go ahead. And I was just like, I like how much we put on the moon. It's like, that's the closest thing. (laughs) We got to put something there. I love, I miss when scientists were also like fiction. There are still a lot of scientists who are beautiful science fiction writers. Mm -hmm. But like Kepler like talked about planetary motion and he was a mathematician and like, but he was also a philosopher and he wrote this book. The Like, so for nerds out there, the Somnium is literally like, he's talking about Somni meaning like dreams like it's literally like he's like here's my mm-hmm. dream journal read about it and <laughs> like that's uh hell yeah Kepler I'm glad we named a a cool telescope after you yeah um and this brings me to uh HG Wells uh, who I want to yes. talk about next while um because I don't want to call HG Wells like the father of science fiction uh oh. because that title is we shared. all know and also yeah, Mary all, Shelley. Mary right, Shelley. We know it's Mary yeah. Shelley. Um, but he did have a huge impact on how it got to Mary Shelley. And while Jules Verne was also a big part of science fiction in the early uh, contemporary age, uh, like we're talking like 19th, early 20th century, um, you know, Mary Shelley did it first, A. And B, um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk specifically about H.G. Wells because he discussed aliens and the way that we use aliens in horror today. Jules Verne yeah. was more of a futurist uh, in that sense, and his stuff had less to do with Right, horror. it was a lot of fantasy, like I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, From and the Earth Wells to the moon, used, all yeah. that. H.G. Wells kind of laid the foundation work for alien invaders, as we think of them. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to talk specifically about War of the Worlds, which was published in 1897, which people think of War of the Worlds as being published in like the 1940s or 50s. Because of Orson Welles. They think yeah. of the Orson Welles play. Um, but no, this book dates all the way back to 1897. So like when you picture the invasion scene in World of War of the Worlds, it's Victorian London, baby. <laughs> I mean. It's like Mary Poppins era. <laughs> right, we're right. And it is, uh, there's a really good Lindsay Ellis video about War of the Worlds that talks about invasion literature as a whole. And that's really where right, we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, 
but it is literally like it is it almost satirizes bad alien fiction before any bad alien fiction mm-hmm. exists H.G. Wells goes I know where you guys are going to go with this yeah and I'm going to poke fun at you um and this War of the Worlds is one of the earliest stories to feature mankind in conflict with an extraterrestrial race because previously when aliens appeared in fiction it was it was uh there was a couple different things. It's either like, oh, cool. Hello, alien. How are you? Or right. like, uh, oh, aliens, like either us thinking aliens are so advanced and learning technology from them or vice versa. This is the first time that they kind of put aliens and humans in conflict. Uh, hmm. And it had a huge influence on the whole jo- modern contemporary genre of science fiction, especially what we think of as Martians, uh, air, right. quote, air quote, uh, and how an invasion would work. Uh, so War of the Worlds, uh, which chronicles a Martian invasion on the English countryside, uh, was actually inspired by a common fear that emerged as we approached the turn of the century, which anticipated that the apocalypse may begin at midnight on the last day of 1899. Yeah, Y19K, yeah. baby. <laughs> um, which is, I think, we're going to start to talk Just about this. 1.9K, a- whatever. Yeah, we're going to start to talk about this as a big grand idea of aliens as destruction uh in in this okay. kind of like 1900 to like 1960 era um because this book had very strong parallels to popular invasion literature of the time uh and invasion literature would tell fictional accounts of world war one specifically invasions of england by germany and other uh other countries, other enemies. Right. Um and this reflected a huge anxiety during World War One of an invasion of uh of England or of other uh, countries that were thought to be, you know, like the the, the superpowers, um, which ding 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 ding. It brings us uh, to the 1950s sci-fi boom. Uh, and when we think boom. about aliens oh. and horror, we think of this era. We think of all these B movies. We think yeah. about Plan Nine from Outer Space. We think about Devil Girl from Mars. Um, and there's a huge reason for this. Uh, so there's a Susan Sontag essay that wow. Hello? Did you think we'd be bringing up Susan Sontag on this show, huh? Um, There's a Susan Sontag essay called The Imagination of Disaster. Uh, And in this essay, uh, she argues that science fiction movies, talking specifically about the 1950s and 1960s, are not about science, but about disaster. Uh, And they are, quote, concerned with the aesthetics of destruction and the bigger and brilliant, uh, more brilliant the destruction, the more impactful the movie is. Uh, she says another kind of satisfaction these films supply is extreme moral simplification. That is to say a morally acceptable fantasy where one can give outlet to cruel or at least amoral feelings. In this respect, science fiction films partly overlap with horror films. This is the undeniable pleasure we derive from looking at freaks at beings excluded from the category of human. The sense of superiority over the freak conjoined in varying proportions with the titillation of fear and aversion makes it possible for moral scruples to be lifted for cruelty to be enjoyed. Uh, the same thing happens in science fiction films. Yeah, I would put forward that it makes a lot of sense that we have this futurist um, roaring 20s brought to a halt by the 30s. Uh, uh, there's a word for it, and I don't know what it is when you're reaching for something optimistic, ambitious. There's another word, but I don't have it. A version of science where you think science is only going to be a good it's always going to bring us higher. And then we drop a big atom bomb on a whole. Idealized? Uh, uh, that's, it's very close. It's very close. Nope, you're okay. close. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> uh, then we have 
the atomic bombs and mm-hmm. we're forced to confront the we as Americans, American culture is forced to confront the horror of that and what this science has has wrought. And mm-hmm. in response, these movies that are uh, superficially about or at least aesthetically about science are actually about the disaster that that science brings and attempts to give an audience a moral evil or a moral freak to destroy without the moral compunctions of them being human or anything like us. We need the superiority to justify the destruction that these uh, films and these pieces of fiction show because we know that we did bad destruction on people that are just like us and in some ways are better than us because they didn't bomb other people. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up too because uh, she talks about um, that these kind of dueling ideas of what these uh, science fiction films meant. Uh, And I have another quote from her here. She says, we lived under, we live under continual threat of two equally fearful, but seemingly opposed destinies, Uh, unremitting uh, uh, banality, banality. uh, Yeah. Banality. Yeah. And inconceivable terror. The job of science fiction was once to uh, quote, lift us out of the unbearably humdrum by an escape into dangerous situations, which have last minute happy endings and to quote, normalize what is psychologically unbearable, thereby ignoring us to it. So at this time, both horror and sci-fi films were meant to give us a dose of escapism, but also to remind us what it was that we were escaping from. Right. It is the, the dual, uh, thoughts of the Cold War, that there are two options for the end of the Cold War. There is uh, the inconceivable terror. Everybody is taken down by world communism and everybody has to give up all their money and work in gulags. But the positive version, the positive version of America's end to the Cold War was we just live the way we've always been living and we continue in this toil of what we call life, which is an unremitting banality. There is not a positive view anymore because of what we have shown science to do. And that's, that's when you understand why the space race happened when so both Soviets and capitalists were thinking, how do we show that our version of the cold war is not banality? It is, Mm -hmm. uh, Oh my God, I want that word so bad, Adam. I want that word. (laughs) I don't know. I gave you my idea. It's a word that means reaching for. Striving? Uh, Striving is good, but it's uh, reaching for... You you keep going. I'm going to find this word. Okay. Um, Well, like you said before, the reason that this worked so well in the 1950s is because we were so terrified of the threat of the Soviet Union and nuclear war. Uh, in 1945, the United States tested the atom bomb for the first time, and we saw something in real life that could destroy the world. And then we did see it destroy the world, as it were, by absolutely devastating Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, and then in 1949, the USSR tested their own atom bombs, and Americans collectively shit their, their pants. Because, yeah. oh my God, the, we, we thought, like, oh, we're fine. We're the ones that have the atom bomb. Like, sure, can destroy the world, but we have it. And then somebody else had it. Um Ed, the B movies of this time pulled double duty, both reflecting Americans' fear and kind of calming them. Because the more doomsday devices you see blow up, the more Earths you see destroyed, the more apathetic you kind of grow to it. So sci-fi movies are both kind of 
offering escapism and distracting us from the threat of nuclear war and also preparing us for it. Um, but interestingly, I mean, we know why, yeah, but maybe not intentionally. Right. You know, you think of the, the, the growth of similar movies in the early two thousands of, uh, talking about the immense fear of, of terror, of random terrorist attacks mm-hmm. coming for you. And, you know, the war of the world's, uh, remake is a lot about that. And in one way it is supposed to like remind us and also have some escapism, but also again, unintentionally, it makes us think, Oh, well, it's just gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Interestingly, even though we probably know why, none of these films. Ah, there you go. Uh, none of these films question the need for nuclear power. It was just seen as a necessary evil, regardless. Yeah, or as something that exists and we can't. That's another thing about science. There's mm-hmm. no going backwards. Yeah. We're, we're never going to live in a future, we at least, are never going to live in a future without n- nuclear power. That's the idea anyway. Yeah. Is we don't have the power as people to denuclearize, even though the powers that be try to convince us that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just interesting that none of these films, all these films seem to go, oh, no, we need the atom bomb. Uh, but- yeah, or at least, again, <laughs> say we have it. Yeah. Like. Um, and so between 1948 and 1962, Hollywood released more than 500 science fiction features. Uh, yeah. Which is a lot. Uh, I'm just going to hit a couple of highlights. Um, some of my personal favorites. Uh, Them, which was released in 1954, which is about yes, giant ants. That's the ants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Catwoman of the Moon uh, came out Incredible. in 1953 about a race of catwomen who live on the moon. Obviously, keep up. Um, yeah, yeah. That's where cat girls come from. Yeah. Uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951 about an alien and a robot that come to Earth during the Cold War. That's just um, a great film. Side slight sidebar. I love how during a lot of these movies, a, a robots also came from Mars and other planets. <laughs> as if we well, couldn't just make those. <laughs> yeah, you have what you run into is again the kind of thesis of this genre as a whole, which is hey, in the last fifty years, we went from just kind of figuring out automatic machine guns to a bomb that can literally vaporize people. Yeah. And so what these films all do is they go, well, we've come that far in that amount of time. Who's to say there won't be sentient aliens and robots who come to us five years from now and say, hey, you guys are on our level. Let's fight. Yeah. Um, The Thing from Another World, which was released in 1951, which went on to inspire John Carpenter's The Thing. They come from the same short story. Not to be confused with It Conquered the World, which is a way worse version of that. Um, Okay. Plan 9 from Outer Space, which we've talked about on the show before. Iconic, about aliens making the dead rise in their graves and attack the living. Very good. Incredible. Um, Monster Robot, 1953. About a gorilla wearing a scuba helmet set out to destroy the last eight Earthlings. Um, Incredible. And finally, Devil Girl from Mars, 1954, about an alien dominatrix with a ray gun and a robot sidekick. Incredible. Yeah, um, we could go all yeah, day with Yeah, I need these. to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also, we could absolutely uh, talk about uh, similarly framed movies actually from Japan that are kaiju films. Like mm-hmm. Godzilla was originally, uh, uh, There's there are versions of Godzilla where he is just like, a poor lizard boy who got irradiated, but there's also ones where he is an alien and there are different aliens that come in. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just an American thing, but. And we're going to talk about that later too of um, 
monsters being aliens is almost an afterthought. Uh, but we'll get to that in a bit because now yeah. I want to talk about Alien, Ridley Scott Alien, okay. um, which I know is a little bit of a fast forward, but it kind of like this is kind of the natural progression and really where aliens took like a hard left turn from, right. uh, from what we knew of them in the 50s. And I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about Alien because it will certainly get its own episode in the future. Um, For sure. Because it is it's very difficult to overestimate the impact that Alien had on the genres of horror and sci fi and just film in general, sort of the jaws of sci fi movies. Um, <laughs> what fun sentences we get to say on the show. I, I just like going back to my thesis, which is the thesis of the whole podcast is that Jaws is the only movie. And if there's a second movie, it's Alien. <laughs> if there's a second movie, which there's all not, movies Jaws are, is the only movie, but there, if right, there is right. one. Right. But Alien is Alien Jaws. Mm -hmm. This is what we can do is yeah. we, you name a movie and somebody, and we have to tell them what <laughs> What version of Jaws this is? It's actually just Jaws. Back to the Future. <laughs> this is Marty McFly Jaws. Anyway, um, and also there is nothing original either of us have to say about Alien. Everything that has been said about Alien has been said. I don't think there's okay. anything new that we can say about Alien. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Do you just uh, if, if you have to disagree, tell me. Um, let me nothing original I can say about it. Let me do. Let me do my impression of a student in an NYU uh, theater studies class mm -hmm. who raised their hand at the same time as somebody else, but the person who got called on first said the thing that they were going to say. Okay. And so now they have to come up with something new, right? And and vaguely artistic. Okay. Um, Alien is a metaphor for the drafting and the failure to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. <laughs> and Ripley is all, represents all women and the xenomorph represents the patriarchy. Great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you could have let in with a piggybacking off of that, but uh, but still good. Um, oh, I piggybacking do <laughs> off of that is very good. I do want to talk about the xenomorph specifically. Um, as a that's new, all we're here for because you know aliens and that's another interesting thing about aliens in horror and in science fiction is that they always are different um we have like you know the little green men and little gray men tropes that appear in a lot but aliens do appear differently in a lot of different movies and xenomorph is one of the strongest examples of that um so xenomorphs an extremely hostile race of aliens who require a human host to reproduce uh they are seven to nine feet tall and they are large gray and muscular and let's be clear, they are very sexy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and they're supposed to be. Um, the design of the creature is Geiger based on did that. What? H.R. Geiger did that yeah, for us. H.R. Uh, Geiger was uh, the art inspiration uh, for the Xenomorph and was hired on after Ridley Scott saw his art and when that's what the Xenomorph needs to look like. Um, and Geiger made several conceptual paintings of the adult alien before settling on a final version uh, with like he sculpted the creature's body using plasticine, incorporating pieces like snake vertebrae, cooling tubes from a Rolls Royce because the xenomorph looks both so natural and organic and also so technological, Yeah, uh, which is cool. Um, and the creature's head was separately sculpted by uh, Carlo Rambaldi, who uh, worked on the aliens and close encounters of the third kind. Uh, there yeah. were a lot of different like the, the xenomorph could have been like a too many cooks spoil the pot or whatever. Um, but yeah. really, it just made a, too many cooks made a very extremely good alien. <laughs> too many too many cooks means over salted soup, too yeah. much stuff. Too many cooks in the alien making kitchen means good alien. Yeah. 
Um, and Ridley Scott said, uh, I've never liked horror films because in the end, it's always a man in a rubber suit. Well, there's one way to deal with that. The most important thing for a film of this type is not what you see, but the effect of what you think you saw, which is why the xenomorph yeah. is so constantly changing. And we well, every time we see it, it looks a little different. I think yeah, and we only see pieces of it. Hugger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what the aliens symbolize in this one is really important. Uh, and because it's so different from what aliens meant in the 50s, and this is kind of where aliens and horror and science fiction shifted from them always meaning the fear of invaders or the fear of outsiders to aliens being able to represent different individual things. Um, Most critics read the film as being highly sexual, especially the chestburster scene. Uh, And it's not even like a read of the film. It's, it's the text of the film. Yeah, it is the text. Because Dan O'Bannon, everybody's very sweaty in this film. Yeah. Everyone is very sweaty in this movie. And, sorry. and what we learned from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is that sweat <laughs> equals sex. Um, apologies for getting slightly blue on this podcast, but uh, Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay, uh, argues that uh, the chestburster is a metaphor for the male fear of penetration. I knew he'd get gay. <laughs> I, Hell I, yeah. Finally. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear, friends. Um Again, not really so much as a read as is just the text. And it's interesting to see... Uh, to use an alien for this metaphor, something that is inhuman and not of this world. Um, yeah. And arguably what makes really makes aliens scary is not just Xenomorph, but the loneliness of the setting as well, like you we talked about before. Like the USS Nostromo is like the ideal sci-fi horror setting. Absolutely. It's almost the ideal horror setting. Yeah. Period. Because you have, you know, when you talk about the loneliness, you are lonely but for one thing. And that is the xenomorph. And that's extra terrifying because you're not alone. Being alone would almost be better, which is insane because Mm -hmm. one of the scariest things about space is the the, uh, solitary nature of it, the being alone. And this goes, no, no, no. You thought being alone was scary. Let me show you scary. And that's so cool. And this, like you said, this is a left turn for, for these films because before you had... A lot of metaphors going on, but mostly alien represents, uh, whether it represents it well, a form of xenophobia mm-hmm. um, or at least a, a fear of the unknown. And it, the film as a whole represents this uh, ever-marching progress of science might not be as good as we thought it was. And then you have alien where it goes, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Alien, not about xenophobia anymore. We're now about anal sex. Yeah. But but not just you you know what I mean that right. the it is a it is a I always come up with new words on this dang podcast and complexification is not a word. I like it though. Thank you. Um a complication mm-hmm. of of the established metaphor, which I think in is something that horror does so well in because all, all of these things are touchstones and are cultural moments that the metaphors like you said, they're not subtext. It's just the text. And mm-hmm. when you change what that text is, most audience members understand the change, which yeah. is really cool. Uh, that's all I want to talk about, Alien, for now, because, again, I okay. do want to do an episode uh, f- on it later. Um, Fine. But, but what is important, I mean, of many things, one of the most important things about Aliens is uh, Alien is how it changed aliens in horror and in science fiction. Um and now, uh, much more often in like the modern day, 
we've seen aliens absorbed into superhero movies and action movies over horror movies. And because now aliens have been portrayed like every which way up and down, um, modern horror that features aliens, which is pretty few and far between because we don't think of aliens as scary anymore. Like they've they've been kind of marvelified. Uh, so they're not really as scary anymore, but when we do use them, we steer very much more the Lovecraftian, uh, kind yeah. of idea of we aliens. steer into the unknown of it. Yeah, the unknown, the unfathomable. A lot of the times in modern alien movies, we don't ever actually see the alien or the creature that we're talking about. Um, yeah, which and if is we do, they are move. right. But if we do, they're they are so alien yeah. because we now have the ability to not have everybody be a man in a rubber suit. We have things like not in horror, but Arrival, where mm-hmm. they are. Not only weird alien creatures that look a lot like the Reapers from Mass Effect, but they also speak differently, communicate differently, think differently. Yeah. Um, there have been some some highlights. Uh, Color Out of Space, which came out in 2018, which is the Nicolas Cage one uh, based on the H.P. Lovecraft story of the same name, uh, is pretty good. And, fe- you know, it's Lovecraftian. It's Unfathomable Aliens. Um, it and It Part 2, people forget that it that is an alien. an alien. Yeah. Um, which I think now is like it's another thing with modern alien films where we forget that like we say like, oh, where did this horror film come from? Duh, he's from space. He's from space. Right. It's the only way to explain right. it. He's from space. Yeah. It's kind of a it's the zombie problem mm-hmm. where when something stands for so many different things and has for so long, you kind of lose the impact. You say, oh, this thing is from space. And that should be a wild thing to say. Always. That should always have an yeah. impact of this thing came from out there. But at this point, it doesn't really have that much. Like you said, it doesn't have that impact. Yeah. And it doesn't really fall into any of the alien archetypes that we have come to recognize, um, especially Mm. because it takes place on Earth and there is only one of it. Um, But also it technically does also fall into the unfathomable territory because we don't actually ever see what it actually looks like. Like Pennywise is just like form that it's taking on Earth. Right. Very um, so technically, technically, it is still unfathomable. Um, I, whether or not it's played well in the second Ye- movie is debatable because uh, they do yeah. kind of uh, they, they weaken him a little bit. But that's another podcast. Yeah. Um, same thing with A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, those are aliens. Again, we kind of right. gloss over the we, well, yeah, we kind the, of focus on the quietness part. Yeah, we get the. The, the exposition in the beginning of we see all the newspaper articles of the steps of the invasion, which I really like. Um, yeah. And I know I didn't see a quiet place too. I'm sorry. Um, oh my God. But uh, they might go into that a little bit more uh, there. Um, and I know we get the stupid uh, whiteboard that everybody makes fun of in a quiet place uh, where it oh, says yeah. like, what is the, what is the weakness? It's circled. Um, <laughs> I like this movie a lot. And I think, uh, Again, it doesn't focus very much on the fact that they're aliens, but I think one of the weakest things it does is shows the monster. It would have been way it's, scary if we did not see what it looked like. Never um, show the monster. Yeah. That should have been the the title of this podcast. Yeah, stop showing your aliens. Yeah. Put those aliens away. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> what's in your mouth? Put that away. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, Annihilation, which came out in 2018, which is another one people argue or whether or not it's a horror Great movie. Uh, I yeah. say it is. Um, but it it's not. A, it's a. It's a contemplative. The problem is it's not in your face about it. So yeah, people don't think about it. it is, yeah, it's psychological and existential horror, which aliens are perfect for. Yeah. And a, the alien, this is like the shimmer thing, uh, which um, is like, 
again, with the unfathomable, we don't ever actually see what the creature looks like. Uh, and that is seems to be the 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 direction people have been taking aliens because every alien that you can think of has probably been done. Um, right. So the unfathomable alien is uh, entirely the next step. Um, and it's most likely the most probable form of alien. Yes. Yeah, you know, we like can understand. Yeah. I would I've already recommended one bread tube video, which is the War of the Worlds Lindsay Ellis video. I'd also recommend uh, uh, the Annihilation of Metaphor by Folding Ideas, which is about annihilation and it's very, very good mm-hmm. and kind of gets into the way that the internet talks about movies specifically, but also art in general that I think this podcast is very much a conscious attempt to go against. So I would uh, watch it. It's very good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that. I th- it's going to wrap up the beginning of our discussion on aliens. Hooray! Thank uh, you so much for listening to this. Oh, Adam, do you want to say something? No, before I was going to say, up? like, next week we are going to talk about ufology culture and close encounters, uh, which I'm super yes. excited about. So me too, there will me be too. more aliens. Worry not. More aliens. And these ones will be real. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode 70 of the Great American Scream. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify, share the show, spread the word, tell a friend who likes aliens. Uh, Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Uh, yep, you can check us out on Twitter at Great Scream Pod, uh, Facebook at The Great American Scream, and on Instagram at, at Great Scream Pod. Uh, please send us your favorite alien movies. Uh, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there's something you would like to hear about on the show, uh, please tweet at us or make a post because your suggestion may become the topic for a future episode. And also, as a reminder, uh, check out our personal Instagrams as well. Uh, I am at Adam J. O'Conn. I am at Dev in USA on Twitter and Devin LW on Instagram. Uh, because we will, when we head to Halloween Horror Nights next month, we will be doing a lot of uh, coverage uh, on the night of that, which is might be some content that you won't actually get to see in the episode or in the video we make. So do check us uh-huh. out there as well. Yes, definitely. Special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the intro disclaimer of the show, and Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find him on Twitter and on YouTube. His video game mashups are so incredible. Not mashups, they're remixes. Also, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash greatscreenpod. Tons of great tiers and rewards there. More and more as we have more time. Once we're done with the Renaissance Fair, the (laughs) Patreon shall uh, be resurrected fully. If you pledge uh, anything from a dollar, you are showing such great support. You get access to the outlines every week and some behind-the-scenes content whenever we have it. Uh, if you pledge $10 or more, you get really cool stickers, uh, one designed by Conductor Gav on Twitter of the man in the fields and also a uh, a bloody sign that says Scare Safely that was designed by me. So please check it out. And a special thank you goes out to all of the current patrons on the level of man in the fields or higher. So thank you to Regina, Ben, Bree. Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I am O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Uh, face hugger stands for anal sex. You're welcome. Be you safe don't have out a there. To that? No, oh, just okay. say be safe out there on your spaceships. 